0: Letter 32, Part 1, of Pamela, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Pamela, Volume 2, by Samuel Richardson. Letter 32, Part 1. The Journal Continued. Thursday, Friday Evening. My dear Miss Darnford, I am returned from a very busy day, having no less than fourteen of our neighbours, gentlemen and ladies, to dinner, the occasion, principally, to welcome our noble guests into these parts, Mr B having, as I mentioned before, turned the intended visit into an entertainment, after his usual generous manner. He and Lord Davers are gone part of the way with them home, and Lord Jackey mounted with his favourite Colbrand as an escort to the Countess and Lady Davers, who are taking an airing in the chariot. They offered to take the coach if I would have gone, but being fatigued, I desired to be excused. So I retired to my closet, and Miss Darnford, who is seldom out of my thoughts coming into my mind, I had a new recruit of spirits, which enabled me to resume my pen, and thus I proceed with my journal our company was the earl and countess of d who are so fashionable a married couple that the earl made it his boast and his countess bore it like one accustomed to such treatment that he had not been in his lady's company an hour abroad before for seven years you know his lordship's character everybody does and there is not a worse as report says in the peerage sir thomas atkins a single gentleman not a little finical and ceremonious, and a mighty beau, though of the tawdry sort, and affecting foreign airs, as if he was afraid it would not be judged by any other mark that he had travelled, Mr. Arthur and his lady, a moderately happy couple, who seem always, when together, to behave as if upon a compromise, that is, that each should take it in turn to say free things of the other, Though some of their freedoms are of so cutting a nature that it looks as if they intended to divert the company at their own expense. The lady, being of a noble family, strives to let every one know that she values herself not a little upon that advantage, but otherwise has many good qualities. Mr. Brooks and his lady, he is a free joker on serious subjects, but a good-natured man, and says sprightly things with no ill grace the lady a little reserved and haughty though to-day was freer than usual as was observed at the table by lady towers who is a maiden lady of family noted for her wit and repartee and who says many good things and with so little doubt and really so good a grace that one cannot help being pleased with her this lady is generally gallanted by mr martin of the grove so called cool to distinguish him from a rich citizen of that name, settled in these parts, but being covetous and proud, is seldom admitted among the gentry in their visits or parties of pleasure. Mr. Dormer, one of a very courteous demeanour, a widower, was another who always speaks well of his deceased lady, and of all the sex, for her sake. Mr. Chapman and his lady, a well-behaved couple, not ashamed to be very tender and observing to each other, but without that sensible fondness which sits so ill upon some married folks in company. Then there was the dean, our good minister, whom I name last, because I would close with one of the worthiest, and his daughter, who came to supply her mamma's place, who was indisposed, a well-behaved prudent young lady, and here were our fourteen guests, the Countess of C., Lord and Lady Davers, Mr. H., my dear Mr. B., and your humble servant made up the rest of the company. Thus we had a capacious and brilliant circle, and all the avenues to the house were crowded with their equipages. The subjects of discourse at dinner were various, as you may well suppose. And the circle was too large to fall upon any regular or very remarkable topics. A good deal of sprightly wit, however, flew about between the Earl of D, Lady Towers, and Mr. Martin, in which that lord suffered as he deserved, for he was no match for the lady, especially as the presence of the dean was a very visible restraint upon him, and Mr. Brooks too. So much awe will the character of a good clergyman always have upon even forward spirits, where he is known to have had an inviolable regard to it himself. Besides, the good gentleman has, naturally, a genteel and inoffensive vein of raillery, and so was too hard for them at their own weapons. But after dinner, and the servants being withdrawn, Mr. Martin singled me out, as he loves to do, for a subject of encomium, and made some high compliments to my dear Mr. B., Upon his choice, and wished, as he often does, he could find just such another for himself. Lady Towers told him it was a thing as unaccountable as it was unreasonable, that every rake who loved to destroy virtue should expect to be rewarded with it, and if his brother B. had come off so well, she thought no one else ought to expect it. Lady Davis said it was a very just observation, and she thought it a pity there was not a law "'that every man who made a harlot of an honest woman "'should be obliged to marry one of another's making.' "'Mr. B. said that would be too severe. "'It would be punishment enough "'if he was to marry his own, "'and especially if he had not seduced her "'under promise of marriage. "'Then you'd have a man be obliged to stand to his promise, "'I suppose, Mr. B., replied Lady Davers. "'Yes, madam, but,' said she, the proof would be difficult, perhaps, and the most unguilty heart of our sex might be least able to make it out. But what say you, my Lord D? Will you and my Lord Davis join to bring a bill into the House of Peers for the purposes I mentioned? I fancy my brother would give it all the assistance he could in the lower house. Indeed, said Mr. B, if I may be allowed to speak in the plural number, we must not pretend to hold an argument on this subject.' What say you, Mister H? Which side are you of? Every gentleman replied, "He who is not of the lady's side is deemed a criminal." And I was always on the side. Repeat, and I was always of the side that had the power of the gallows. That shows, returned Lady Towers, that Mister H is more afraid of the punishment than of deserving it. 'Tis well said, Mister B, that any consideration deters a man of Mister H's time of life. What may be fear now? may improve to virtue in time.' "'Aye,' said Lady Davers. "'Jackie is one of his uncle's foxes. He'd be glad to snap up a straggling pullet, if he was not well looked after, perhaps.' "'Pray, my dear,' said Lord Davers. "'Forbear, you ought not to introduce two different conversations into different companies.' "'Well, but,' said Lady Arthur, "'since you seem to have been so hard put to it as single men,' What's to be done with the married man who ruins an innocent body? What punishment, Lady Towers, shall we find out for such a one, and what reparation to the injured? This was said with a particular view to the earl, on a late scandalous occasion, as I afterwards found. As to the punishment of the gentleman, replied Lady Towers, where the law is not provided for it, it must be left, I believe, to his conscience. It will then one day be heavy enough. But as to the reparation to the woman, so far as it can be made, it will be determinable, as the unhappy person may or may not know that her seducer is a married man. If she knows he is, I think she neither deserves redress nor pity, though it elevate not his guilt. But if the case be otherwise, and she had no means of informing herself that he was married, and he promised to make her his wife, to be sure, though she cannot be acquitted. He deserves the severest punishment that can be inflicted. What say you, Mrs. B.? If I must speak, I think that since custom now exacts so little regard to virtue from men, and so much from women, and since the designs of the former upon the latter are so flagrantly avowed and known, the poor creature who suffers herself to be seduced, either by a single or married man, with promises or without, as only to sequester herself from the world, and devote the rest of her days to penitence and obscurity. As to the gentleman, added I, he must, I doubt, be left to his conscience, as you say, Lady Towers, which he will one day have enough to do to pacify. "'Every young lady has not your angelic perfection, madam,' said Mr. Dormer, and there are cases in which the fair sex deserve compassion. Ours execration—' Love may insensibly steal upon a soft heart. When once admitted, the oaths, vows, and protestations of the favoured object, who declaims against the deceivers of his sex, confirm her good opinion of him, till having lulled asleep her vigilance in an unguarded hour, he takes advantage of her unsuspecting innocence. Is not such a poor creature to be pitied? And what punishment does not such a seducer deserve? You have put, sir, said I, a moving case, and in a generous manner. What, indeed, does not such a deceiver deserve? And the more, said Mrs. Chapman, as the most innocent heart is generally the most credulous. Very true, said my Countess, for such a one as would do no harm to others, seldom suspects any from others, and her lot is very unequally cast, admired for that very innocence which tempts some brutal ravager to ruin it yet what is that virtue said the dean which cannot stand the test but said lady towers very satirically whither ladies are we got we are upon the subject of virtue and honour let us talk of something in which the gentlemen can join with us this is such a one you see that none but the dean and mr dormer can discourse upon let us then, retorted Mr. Martin, to be even with one lady at least, find a subject that will be new to her, and that is charity. Does what I said concern Mr. Martin, more than any other gentleman, returned Lady Towers, that he is disposed to take offence at it? You must pardon me, Lady Towers, said Mr. B, but I think a lady should never make a motion to waive such subjects as those of virtue and honour. And less still in company where there is so much occasion, as she seems to think, for enforcing them. I desire not to waive the subject, I'll assure you, replied she. And if, sir, you think it may do good, we will continue it for the sakes of all you gentlemen, looking round her archly, who are of opinion you may be benefited by it. A health to the king and royal family, brought on public affairs and politics. And the ladies withdrawing to coffee and tea, I have no more to say as to this conversation, having repeated all that I remember was said to any purpose. End of letter thirty two, part one.